0: Back in Ephesians chapter 1, again, why so repetitive, you ask? This is our fourth week in chapter 1. Here's why. Chapter 1 of Ephesians is one of the greatest pieces of literature that's ever been written. Penned by the Apostle Paul, one of the early missionaries of the Christian movement, but inspired by God himself as he reveals things to the Apostle Paul That only God knows, but He chooses to give us insight into the divine mysteries all the way back. Not just to the beginning of creation, but before the foundations. And so, we've been soaking ourselves in it. We'll be in there this week, we'll be in there next week, and then finally we'll move on to chapter 2. Now, if you haven't been doing what I prompted you to do a couple weeks ago, I'd encourage you to start doing that, which is to read through the letter to the Ephesians, 6 chapters once a week, this whole time we're in the series on Ephesians. Now, if you don't, you say, man, six chapters seems like a lot, then do at least the first three chapters. You say, I can't do that. It's three pages long. And if you do not know how to read three pages, then you can listen to it through an app on your phone that will actually read it to you. No one has an excuse. I don't have a phone. I'm like Janelle. I flip my phone. Okay, I will read it to you. I will meet you every week for coffee, and I'll read you Ephesians. It is such a beautiful, and it will transform you. Just reading the Word of God will transform you. So I encourage you, if you haven't been doing that, once a week, read it in all different ways. Read it straight through. Read a chapter a day, and really let it soak in. Read it in different versions, ESV, NIV, NASB, The message, which is a paraphrase, read it, let it wash over you. It's beautiful words from our Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for these words that are rich and full and deep, uh, for giving us insights into the things that we'd never know unless you gave it to us. We thank you that you don't leave us to our own minds and our own thoughts our own interpretation, but you've given us your divine word. And then you help us through your Holy Spirit to understand what that means. And so we pray today as we come to this text that you'd reveal yourself to us. Be with me as I preach. Anything that is from you, God, I pray that that stirs in us that which might not be. Let it pass in one ear and out the other. We pray all this and so much more in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning I preached at a, uh, I don't know if we can call it a sister church, I mean not really, but I consider them good friends and uh, colleagues in the gospel, Central Community Church. uh, Some of you know them because we've partnered with them to do Alpha, which is kind of a basics of Christianity um, course that we did last spring, and you heard we're doing it again starting in January. Come talk to me if you're interested in being a part of helping us put that on. It's such an amazing time where we get to help people come without any pretense to just ask the questions and have the conversations of faith and what is the meaning of life and who was Jesus and why was the cross important and and why do we read the Bible, things like that. Come talk to me. But I preached at their church uh, this morning, and the reason I did is because on Thursday evening, my friend Jeff, Pastor Jeff over there, called me, actually texted me, And he said, I'm in the hospital having my third child. Could you fill the pulpit for me on Sunday? And I said, sure, I've got nothing going on this weekend. The collaborative hackathon, huge success. Great work, everyone. Um, I'll love to do it. Now, I I wasn't so snarky like that. It was over text. I was like, sure, great. I said, the only thing is, if I do this for you, please name your son after me. Guess what they named him? Charles David Neuschwander. Just saying. (laughs) Turns out there's lots of other Davids in the world as well, but I like to think he named him after me, so praise be to God. (laughs) Have a great week. (laughs) Okay. So they had their third child, Jeff's amazing friend. He asked me, I said, Jeff, what do you want me to preach on? Uh, He said, well, you know, the elections are coming up. I'd love for you to talk about politics. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. He didn't ask me that. But I did make that joke this morning. Got a great laugh, because they were scared that I was actually going to talk about it. Uh, But it did get me thinking, because there are these things lurking around the corner, these elections, and uh, I was thinking about them and thinking about how really weird voting is, right? Like, I don't know if you guys get scared or sort of anxious about it, um, but when we vote for a particular candidate over another candidate, um, really what we're doing in a sense is associating ourselves, or at least it feels like we're associating ourselves with that particular candidate. And not just that candidate for president or senate or whatever, but that candidate, everything about him. That's what it feels like. It gives me some angst. uh, Because uh, it's not like I want to be associated with everything about a candidate. I don't want to be associated with their character, but it seems like that's what I'm associating with, or their personality, or their personal past, or their personal present, their brand, every political position they've ever taken on anything and everything. It seems like I'm being associated with their email history, with their tax returns, right? That's supposed to be funny. And <laughs> it's alarming, right? And maybe the most alarming thing is that I am associating myself with their political future. The success or the failure should they be elected, and that's terrifying. Maybe I'm the only one that gets a little angsty about that. It's a lot to take in, and maybe think about this idea of association. Association in general is terrifying, I think, to most of my peers, myself, and others, in fact, I believe as a collective people, uh, we've become increasingly weary of associating ourselves with anything and anyone, and in many cases, uh, rightly so, because association is a weird thing. As a church planner, first thing most people ask me, well, who are you associated with, or who planted you, or what denomination are you a part of? And I know what they're asking. They're trying to find out all sorts of things about me by asking who I'm associated with. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It's just kind of scary. You know, we pick our brands. Talked about this before. Are you a Patagonia man? An Arcteric man? Very elite. And, God forbid, a North Face man. (laughs) I bought all my jackets long before I realized that those were made in New York City. So, here's the deal. Sometimes there are long-term associations. And those are hard to enter into. But sometimes those long-term associations pay off, right? Like this week, we just saw that happen. For many, many people, for a long time, they've associated themselves with a particular team that for 108 years has failed to win it all, and those Cubs finally won, and all that association paid off, and Cubs fans, they were everywhere, right? Really, they've been, they've been everywhere for the last couple months, and I didn't realize how many people were Cubs fans, because we get some sort of late-coming association that happens. Now, truth be told, I have owned a Cubs hat for decades. In fact, the hat I wore most frequently as a middle schooler and a high schooler was my Cubs hat. Classic blue red C. Now, I'm going to be honest, I wore that because I looked good in it and I love (laughs) the color blue. Okay, so I got to admit that. So I'm not a true Cubs fan, but I was in some ways associated. So go Cubbies. And you know, this lovable group of losers has now become No longer losers, and probably we're not going to love them that much anymore. So associations mean a lot. They tell us a lot about people, uh, and I think they're weird and they're scary to enter into. They can be confusing, and so often we avoid them. But should we avoid all association? Can we avoid all association? So two weeks ago, we talked about... The plan of God. And I want to show you something that we're doing and something that you might not have seen in this text. But the plan of God is really related to God the Father. This is a triune text. We have one God who exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. A divine mystery. We don't fully understand it. But again and again, Scripture talks about that. And two weeks ago, we saw that Father God, God the Father, has made a plan for us for all things. And today we'll see God the Son, He is the Redeemer of all things. And next week we'll see that God the Spirit seals the work and the plan of God. And it's beautiful how they work together. So here's where we're going. So if you're with me, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read again verses 3 to 14. Please read along with me. "...as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth." In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire Possession of it. Say it with me to the praise of his glory. Woo! You hear that? In him, in the beloved, in him, in him, in him, in who? In Christ. Nine times in that short text, we're told some formulation of in him, which is in Christ. You think that's important? You think it's an important piece to understand? The in him, the in Christ, in God the Son. Wow. We're going to be talking about that today. And what I'd like you to do is just turn over one or, it's probably one page for you, to the beginning of chapter 2. Maybe you don't even have to turn. Maybe you scroll. This is not in your bulletin, so... Uh, Follow along with me, and here's what I want to show you. And we'll come back to what do these in hymns mean? What's actually happening here? But what I want to do is show you what they result in, okay? What they result in. And so we're going to read starting in verse 1, chapter 2. The in hymns will solve a problem, and chapter 2 tells us, And you were dead being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places and look how that happens in christ jesus so this is the result that we go from death to life. This is why it's so important to understand what it means to be in Him. Now, boom. Told you we're going somewhere else. Flip your Bible like this all the way to the front. Genesis chapter 3. First book of the Bible. I'm going to show you something pretty cool. Very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 14. And as you're turning there, let me give you some context. God has created... All things, out of his volitional will, he has done it and he's said this is good. And Part of his creation, the pinnacle of his creation was those created in his image, human beings, man and woman. And this first man and this first woman lived with God in perfect relationship, perfect communion. They walked with God in the garden. Uh, And then a deceiver came in took the form of a serpent, convinced them that they were being gypped by God, that he was keeping from them everything that they could be. And they believed the lie, and they did the one thing that God said, please, don't do this. Everything else is yours, but this one thing, just trust me, obey me, don't do it. And they chose their own way. They chose their own wisdom, their own insight, and they took of the forbidden fruit and at once they realized their sin and their guilt and they hid from God. And God comes after them and he finds them. And he had told them, if you do this, you'll surely die. And rather than death, he stops himself short, though his justice and judgment would be fully, fully complete. He stops himself. And this is what he says to them. Imagine this. You have have to understand the moment. God comes to them. He says, what have you done? They start blaming each other. They start blaming the serpent. And here's God's words to them. Look with me, starting in verse 14. This is known as the proto-evangelion, which is just a fancy way to say the first gospel. This is the first time in human history, that God speaks the gospel to us. And it happens right after we sin against Him. He says this, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You say, that's not the gospel I've heard. Let me explain what he's saying. Genesis 3.15, for the first time, we have two elements that are basic to the, to the understanding of the world through the Christian lens. And the first time they enter into God's plan and his narrative, and they're one, the curse of mankind because of Adam's sin is revealed. And if you continue to read, you see God talk to the woman and he'll talk to the man. And he'll say, because of what you've done, these are consequences because of your sin. And the second thing that we see revealed for the first time is God's provision of a savior who will save us from our sin. The curse that He has just told us comes upon us. Now how do I see that? Well, the offspring of the woman, who is that? He's referring here to Jesus Christ. Now we don't know Jesus' name yet, but born of a woman, her name was Mary, became impregnated through the work of the Holy Spirit, Fully God, Son of God, fully human. The offspring of the woman. And the offspring of the serpent, that's Satan, and his offspring, evil men, demonic forces, who will, as we know, strike this offspring of the woman. First, Judas betrays Jesus, selling him for a bag of silver. Then the Pharisees falsely arrest, convict Him of blasphemy, take him to the Romans, who then beat him, torture him, nail him to a cross, and pierce his side with a spear. That's the bruising of his heel. That's the bruising of his heel. When your heel gets bruised, it's not the end of the story. It debilitates you for a time, it's painful. It's effective only to a point, but it doesn't end your story. And so, though Jesus was hung from a cross and He truly died and He truly was buried in the ground, what do we know? On the third day, He rose again, proving that the blow Satan made against Him was not fatal. He beat death. He rose again. His, bru- his heel was bruised. Now what about the bruising of the head of the serpent's offspring? Well, when you get bruised in the head, this was a way to talk about a fatal blow. See the difference? His head was bruised by the cross of Christ. And he never recovered. And he never will recover Victory was won by God that day. And there's this enmity still between now and the last trumpet between these two enemies. Those who are for God, for the offspring of the woman, and those who are for the anti-God. Those who are offspring of the deceiver you see how beautiful this is (laughs) this proclamation of the gospel it's the comedy of the gospel that Satan thinks that he's won by bruising the offspring of the woman Jesus Christ but in fact he's actually cutting off his own head (laughs) I love that God uses everything for His ends and His glory. Including the striking of God the Son by Satan himself. It's amazing. Now this enmity continues as we associate with one or the other. Jesus says this in the Gospel of Matthew. He casts out a demon and the Pharisees come to Him and they say, Who is this man? He must be the prince of demons, for even the demons listen to him. And Jesus stops them and he says, guys, that's totally irrational. A family cannot stand if they're in conflict. So how could I cast out the demon if I'm one of the demons? I'm destroying my own family. What was his point? And then he says this. He says, listen, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And I love that God gave this proclamation right at the beginning. The very first gospel was preached just moments after we rebelled against our creator. And he continues to do this with us. Every moment that we choose ourselves over Him, we choose our own way over His way. We choose the wisdom in our own eyes over His wisdom. You know what the very next thing He does to us is? Remember the Gospel. Remember, I've given the solution for the problem that you've just created. So again and again, this is played out. He continues to get bruised, but never defeated. He is God of gods. I love that. So I wanted to show you that. I wanted to show you the very beginning. Because God tells us in Ephesians that it's always been his plan. That through Christ, through him, through God the Son, he would put all things together. And so he was not surprised when we sinned against him. The reason he could so quickly respond is he said, I knew this was how it would go and this is my plan for salvation and redemption. So he's not caught off guard. He's not taken back. He does not sulk. He does not complain. He doesn't just go think about it. Should I give up? He knows exactly what he's going to do. He's going to send the son. That's always been his plan. It's not a salvage plan. It's not plan B. It's not like, what am I going to do now? It's all a part of God's divine His ma- uh, divine plan. His match, uh, unmatched wisdom has thought through this plan and he carries it out through his power. Are you beginning to grasp the magnitude of this? The magnitude of, of who God is, this fantastic story that God invites us into. How unfathomable his grace and his mercy are and how in control he truly is. It's important to see that. He's in control. And so no matter how hard a time you're going through, no matter how confused you may be, no matter how much your heel has been bruised, no matter how confused you are by the options for president or how frustrated you are with the sinfulness of the world, the pain that it causes. Just know that God has it. He's in control. It's according to His plan. And He's moving things forward. He's always known that it's in Christ. In Christ is the way forward. I hope you see this. I hope it brings you peace and joy to know that it's part of God's plan, even though it includes the bruising of heels, bruising of his son. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. So turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's talk about these nine in-hymns. Nine in-hymns, they're incredible, they're exhaustive. Proclamations of how God will make all of this happen. All of this redemption, all of this uniting, how will He make it happen? It's exhaustive because it talks about the past and God has chosen us before the foundation of the earth. It talks about the present. He's adopted us in the moment. It talks about the future as He unites all things. And every single time He says something, it's in Him that is Christ. It's incredible. Adoption, forgiveness, redemption remaking us blameless before Him, putting all things together in heaven and on earth. So much bigger than the promises we tend to cling on to from God, to hope for from God. So much bigger. Let your minds, let your hearts expand to see the massiveness of God's promise here in Ephesians 1. Now how does being in Him do all of these things? How are they related? How does it actually work? I'm going to show you. And it's beautiful. We're going to look at these in Him declarations individually, but what I want to say is that they're all connected to this one main idea. In verse 4, God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So how can He choose us if we're not yet here? This is key. He can choose us because He can choose God the Son, even before He makes us. And that's what He does. He chooses eternally God the Son. So here's the big idea. God never did, He never has, and He never will choose us apart from Christ. He literally cannot do it because none of us are equal or worthy of His presence. He's perfect in every way. He's holy in every way. We cannot be in His presence. There's only one who can. And it's the Son, Jesus Christ. We'll never be enough, no matter how hard we try, no matter all the good that we try to do, no matter what we can accomplish, no matter what we can give or build to the kingdom of God. We'll never be worthy of this honor. There's only one and it's always only been one, it's Him. God the Son. Jesus Christ. So you see what I'm saying here? This might not make sense, but hold hold with me. God chose His Son because He's the only one who He could ever choose. Because He's the only one that would ever be worthy to be chosen. But if we are in Him... Or you might say, lose ourself in him, then we too, by proxy, are chosen. You could say it this way. When Paul says God is choosing you, he's not saying he's choosing you, he's saying he's choosing the Son, and you happen to be with the Son, lucky for you. And when God says he's choosing the Son, he's actually saying, He's choosing himself because the Son is God. Let me show you how this works. i got this mirror here. Yikes. Okay, got this mirror here. You see this? You guys see yourself here? Oh, wow. I didn't realize how fun this was going to be once I got it up here. Okay. Uh, okay, I see you in the back. Yeah, okay. Um, you see this mirror here? Now, most of the time we do this with the mirror. We sort of check ourselves out, but here's actually what this mirror represents. This mirror is Christ. This mirror is Christ. And when we choose to be in Christ and to lose ourselves in Christ, this is what it looks like. We lose ourselves in Christ. Now imagine if God is looking down on us and we bend our knee and we put Christ above us. When God looks down at us, what does he see? Himself, who is Christ. And he can be with himself because he's perfect in every way. Praise be to God that he chooses If I am in Christ, not to look at me, but to look at Christ, which is to say to look at himself and to see perfection and to say, come, be with me. Praise be to God. Now, is this vain? The answer is no. And here's why. Let me give you an example. I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship, ever been married. This always happens. Man, I wish... My wife or my husband could be just a little bit more like me (laughs) because I'm pretty cool and I think we'd just get along better if they were a little bit more like me. Just be honest, we've all said it or thought it and this is very vain, right? Because what we're saying is I'd like my wife to just hold this up and be a little bit more like me so I could see myself when I look at her. That would be nice. But then we get honest and we get real and we're like, that's totally jacked up. Because I don't really want anybody to be more like me. I want them to be better than me. And if I really saw myself for what I was, if I had any self-awareness, if I wasn't narcissistic, I would realize that. That to tell her to hold up a mirror so I could see more of me is totally wrong. But when God says that, it's not vain, because there's literally nothing better than Him. He is the best thing there can be. He is not lacking in self-awareness. It is not dangerous for Him to want more of Himself to be reflected in the world. In fact, it's the best thing for everyone those who want to hold up the mirror and those who don't. It's the best thing that the glory of God would be reflected all over this world. That Christ would be in all and through all because he's for all. And so when God looks down and he sees what could be the most perfect world I could have, it's if everyone, real personal beings, chose To reflect Him. And we reflect Him by being united to Christ. That's the way God's plan works together. So let me show you how this works specifically with each of these in Him statements. First, verse 5. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Now jump down with me. In the Beloved. This is like God the Father walking into an orphanage. And He walks the world over, the orphanage over, searching, knowing everyone. And He gets to the end and He's choosing. And there's yet but one child worthy to be in His family. And He chooses that child. Guess who that child is? Jesus Christ. And He chooses Him. He walks out of the orphanage And they get into the car, really big minivan. And he gets to the car, and he looks back, and there's all these kids following Jesus. Well, I I, I just picked Jesus. He said, well, you didn't read the fine print here. (laughs) They're all my siblings, and we're a family deal. These are my brothers and my sisters. They come where I go. See, Dave, this is a crazy analogy. John 17 says this. It's recounting what Jesus said. And Jesus said this, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given to me may be with me where I am. I see my glory that you have given to me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. That's the plan. That whomever are in him go where he goes. But God still chooses the Father Jesus if you're in him you're with him you're adopted you are sons of God I love the word of God it's so rich and it at every level reminds us of these truths so Jesus Christ is called the beloved and because we're in him God calls us the beloved I hope you know that I hope you feel that tonight That God sees you as He sees Christ. You are His beloved. Verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespass. Again, grab this mirror real quick and hold it up over your head. Because if God looks down and He sees your sacrifice, He sees what you've given up, it will never be enough. But if he looks down and he sees Christ's sacrifice covering you, that's always enough for whatever goes on underneath. Whatever has, whatever will, it's enough because he doesn't see you and your sacrifice and your sin. He sees Christ's sacrifice, and that is enough because it's a perfect, spotless, pure sacrifice of God himself. See how that works? But only if you're in His blood. No other blood covers you, just His blood. Verse 8. In Him the riches of grace which He's lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Abraham Kuyper famous Dutch theologian. He was a pastor. He also was the president of the Netherlands. He wrote this. There is not a square inch in our whole domain of our whole human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Everything he touches, he will redeem, he will bring back together for the glory of God and the good of us who are also connected to him. Everything will be redeemed. Not just individuals. Everything will be redeemed. Every square inch. There's coming a day when this mirror of Christ will be laid over all things. And anything that it does not touch will fade away and will not remain. For God cannot be in the presence of that which is not himself which is pure and good and holy and christ restores it all look at verse 15 of ephesians 1 i want to show you how this all works together look at this verse 15 for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, What are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might. Now watch this. That He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. He will one day put everything underneath Him. The question is, do we choose to be under Him? Or do we choose to be on our own? You see how that all works together? That Christ will be the head over all. He will be covering all. To the glory of God. Now finally look back at verse 11. Which says in him we have obtained an inheritance. This is the entourage factor. This is the entourage factor. Which means this. Christ does all the work. He makes all the great movies. He has to hassle with all the paparazzi. The haters. And we get to hang out. And enjoy all the blessings that come. With being in the entourage. You know what I'm talking about? The entourage has it made. They don't have to do any of it. They just enjoy the fruits of the labor. We get the inheritance. We are a part of the entourage if we're in Him. So here's the big idea. It's always been about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And it will always be about Jesus. He was always the one means to redemption in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. He was always the one in mind when God spoke all things into creation, Colossians chapter 1, and he was the first one on the scene when man sinned and God said, I'm sending my son to fix this. It's always been about Jesus. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, past, present, future, people, things, everything has always been put together in and through him. So what does this mean for me right now? If this is true, what does it mean for me right now? It means that you need to get over yourself. And you need to get with Him. Right quick. Get over yourself, get with Him. The truth, the truth that all of us have and all of us might Become everything that we're meant to be is only because of Him. And the reason God tells us that nine times in one chapter is because He wants to beat the snot out of us. And the snot that He wants to beat out of us is our pride. And it's sticky and it hangs on, but He keeps hitting us with it. It's in Him, people. It's in Him. Get over yourself, get with Him. Stop looking at yourself in the mirror. Grab Christ and throw Him in front of you. This will result in intense humility, overwhelming thankfulness, seeing that God has chosen to give me Christ, the only one that's worthy of His presence. Second thing that I need you to understand In what universe do we live if this is true, that we don't want to be associated with Him? What what world are we living in in which we don't want to be associated with Christ? How can this be a bad thing? Do people at your work know that you're with Him in your classes, in your social networks? Do they know you're with Jesus? So many Christians are ashamed to be associated with Jesus. So many ashamed to be associated with his bride, the church. So many ashamed to be associated with others who associate with Christ. That's other Christians. Listen, the family is big. And you're not going to love every brother and sister in the same way. There's going to be people that talk different than you, think different than you. Dress different than you, live their life in a slightly different way. And at times you're going to be like, you're wrong. But listen, be very careful not to dissociate from the people of God in the fear that you're dissociating with God Himself, with Christ Himself, so that you might look relevant or hip or cool. What are we doing? Be very careful that you don't throw away your association with Christ just to be relevant. So my friends, covet Christ above all else. Be in Him in every way that you can. Be near to Him. Pursue Him. Sacrifice to have more of Him. Cling to Him with everything that you have because it's in Him that you were chosen. And it's in Him that you have life. It's in Him you have adoption. It's in Him you have inheritance. Love that you're allowed to have Him. Choose Him every day. Choose Him to be with Him and in Him and for Him. Praise be to God that we're in Him. Let's pray. Father, we, we admit, we confess that we often find it hard to associate with you in a city like this in which there's pain often associated with associating with you. That we might lose friends, that we might lose family, that we might be injured or lose our job. But God, help us to remember that this has always been a part of associating with you. That there are real sufferings that happened because of it. God, that there are 7,000 Christians who, because of associating with you last year, lost their lives. Help us to be bold in associating with you. Help us to not fear it. Help us to know that associating with you is the greatest and best thing that we've ever had the opportunity to do, and help us to boldly say, I'm with Him. We pray this all because of Jesus, because of the cross, because of the resurrection. Amen.